Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to Dear Prudence once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today is my good friend Lori Penny, who I met on the hottest day of my life. We were in Philadelphia. It was last summer. It was so hot, I thought I was hallucinating. And at one point, I saw a grown man wearing a three-piece suit, clutching a quart of milk to his chest and weeping openly. Lori, I don't know if you remember how hot that was. It was a very, very hot day indeed, and I wasn't pleased at all. Sometimes I still dream about it. It felt like I had transcended time and space. Yeah, I'm still not sure if I really met you that day or if you were just a figment of my imagination. Nothing about that weekend felt real. Nothing about it. Uh, Lori Penny, for all of you listeners at home, is a writer and a journalist whose book, Bitch Doctrine, is coming out next month. Congratulations on your Bitch Doctrine. Thank you very much. That's very exciting. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult title to have picked because I actually find it quite hard to say that word because mm-hmm. in the UK that's a much ruder word. Is it I really? Feel. Yeah, yeah. Some words, which I'm not going to say on the air, sure. are less rude in the UK than they are here, but bitch is actually quite still quite provocative, but um, I wanted it to be a bit punk. I was going to say, did you get, uh, like... I, I just finished my second book, and there was a lot of back and forth about the title, which does not have the word bitch in it. Um, but I, I kind of endlessly found myself thinking, like, is it good? Do I like it? Do I hate it? Is it the worst? Titles are really, really hard. Titles are garbage. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that somebody else has <laughs> suffered in the same very specific way that I have, which is to say we have not suffered at all. No. At least in terms of book titles. Our golden shoes are very, very tight, Mallory. They pinch. I like the idea of a title of a book being a golden shoe. And now I wish I had titled my book, The Golden Shoe. It pinches. <laughs> um, well, I'm really excited to have you here on the show. And I will not make you say any words that you don't feel comfortable with. Good. But I will make you solve everyone's problems, bring sweetness and light everywhere, and at the end, wrap it up with the perfect piece of advice for everyone, everywhere that is totally universal and will result in maximal joy and self-sufficiency for everyone listening to the show right now. So no pressure. None at all. You ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Would you please do us the honor of reading the very first letter? Oh, brilliant. I love this one. Um, I thought you might. <laughs> oh, you picked it just for me. I did. So this is a letter about wanting a house husband. Dear Prudence. My husband was recently laid off and has been home for the last two months. At the same time, I was promoted at work to my dream position and making really great money. He's been applying and I know he'll be back to work soon. I've been loving having him home. He was laid off once before when we first got married and it sent him into a depression and put a strain on our marriage. But this time it's different. He's been happy. He picks up our daughter from school every day. He cooks delicious meals nearly every night and keeps the house nice and tidy. I've been making a concerted effort to continue to do as much housework as I can. Our communication and sex life are amazing right now. He's growing all of these beautiful plants around the house and fixing things. It's just a dreamland in our home lately. The thing is, his pride. I know he hates when people ask him what he does. And people really are sexist when it comes to this kind of thing. Little comments or pointed questions that are clearly denigrating. I want to tell him he can stay home. I have it covered. This works for us, but not at the expense of any long-term consequences on his mental health, you know? It all feels so good right now. But I worry about judgment from other people, and especially about how that will affect him. I love my career, we're modest people, so my high salary has us living exactly how we want to live. And if he could just stay home just for a few years until our daughter is older, I think that time would be so special. I've dropped hints about it to him. And he just kind of says that he'll be going back to work soon, but I know a significant portion of that is outside pressure and not because he's not happy at home. This man is glowing lately. How can I bring it up in a way that he'll take seriously? How can we handle the assumptions and judgments of us other people? This shouldn't make matters worse, but it is a reality. We are an interracial couple and we already got, get more than your average amount of judgment and scorn from people for no damn reason at all. I think he might be averse to adding another reason for people to look down on us. First of all, adopt me? Yeah. 
I want to live there. This sounds amazing. You two sound so happy and wonderful, and I want to live in your beautiful, plant-filled, lovely, cooked meal home. So, Although the bit where her husband's glowing, I just slightly, that made me worry that maybe he has been abducted and replaced by an alien. Is there an actual glow? Or I was so into that. That felt just just the right amount of welcome to Night Vale, where it's like good things are happening for upsetting reasons. Just don't <laughs> think about the reasons. Just enjoy the glow. Yeah. There's just a little light around the edges, but I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, yeah. That is, it is really difficult when you want to tell someone that they're really happy yes. for reasons you think might make them <laughs> uncomfortable, and you never know. It's sort of like approaching a dog. You don't know, like, is this going to work out? Yeah. Or are you going to get defensive? Yeah. I mean, I was reading this when you sent it to me, and I was like, oh, God, no, don't, don't go back to work. It's a, <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Um, everything's, the worst. everything's going great. Well, but actually, no, this is, this is one thing I wanted to say about this, right? Because this is an issue that comes up for a lot of couples and a lot of people in relationships. And one of the things that that is a problem here is that the language that that you use and that almost everyone uses around people looking after the kids, looking after the house, is he or she is just at home. But actually, your husband here is doing a lot of work. He's doing work. And if you were the one to, quote unquote, stay at home, you'd be working as well. I mean, I always remember my my mum spent some years uh, working outside the traditional world of work when I was a kid. And she always referred to herself as a domestic engineer. Yeah. Which I love. That's dope. So your husband is a domestic engineer. Right. And and there is that, especially for people who have not, like, stayed at home with children. There's Mm -hmm. a kind of perception of, well, you just, like, periodically whisk out a feather duster uh, then you heat something in the oven and just relax it's all day. Done. No one, yeah. no one is doing it. one. Maybe one person is doing that. Yeah, I uh, mean the fact that this isn't paid doesn't mean it's not work. And actually, you know, I think it so should be. So the real be paid. problem here is capitalism. Ab- yes. Are you surprised, Mallory? No, the I'm real not. problem is capitalism. This That's might be the answer the to problem. every question. We yeah, get. yeah. The, your problem is capitalism, but capitalism it is. is the problem. So there's there's kind of two issues here, right? The first one is, uh, you know, how how do I convince him to stay at Mm -hmm. home? How do I get what I want? Uh, And that'll be trickier, and you have to accept the possibility that you guys just might not see eye to eye on that. Um, The other one is, how do I talk to him about it? And do I talk to him? And I think whenever it comes to something as dramatic as changing careers, even if it's only for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. dropping hints is not going to fly. No. That's not going to be how you guys have this conversation. And I understand that you're concerned because you feel like he's already getting a lot of comments from people suggesting that what he's doing isn't real work or or is somehow, like, diminishing his identity as a man. Um, and that just, I mean, A of all, that just sucks. And, yeah. like, everybody, knock it the fuck off. Like, don't do no, that. No, it's horrible, and I can't understand why people continue to do that. But it's a real issue, yeah. right? And and so we don't want to, obviously, you don't want to contribute to that. You don't want to no. bring it up in a way that's hard for him. But I would also say, like, don't worry too much about his pride. Uh, treat mm-hmm. him with respect, obviously. Like, uh, you know, acknowledge his contributions, which it sounds like you're already doing. But it sounds like uh, you're already respecting his pride. If you bring up the possibility of him staying home, taking care of your child full time, that's not an attack on his pride. That's that's a wonderful gift. I mean, what I would say is, look, this guy is kind of a hero. And not just because he's a man looking after kids at home. I mean, I think anybody who does that work is a hero and yeah. it is work. It is a kind of it is a selfless and important job in life that deserves to be acknowledged and recognized and respected. But he's got extra, you know, extra struggles in doing that because he's a man and because he's facing social judgment. So actually Continuing to do that work is the more heroic and courageous and brave step. And this is kind of, if I was talking to somebody in this position, that's kind of how I'd put it. You're all Captain America. These are yeah. two Captain Americas. Absolutely. Married to each other, raising a third Captain America. A little Captain America. Yeah. Maybe Officer America. <laughs> but so if you're thinking about how to bring this up with your husband, um, I would lead with what you have told us, which is just what you have observed. Mm-hmm. Like, take some time after your daughter's gone to sleep and the two of you are sort of talking about it and and say, like, I, I don't know if you have noticed this in yourself, but mm-hmm. over the last two months, to me, it seems like you're glowing. Like, you seem so happy. Um, you seem contented. Our daughter is thriving. The home is like a wonderful, relaxing place to be. We're not worried about money. Things have been great. Does that feel true to you? And so, like, before you even get to, so therefore, let's keep doing this, just, like, say, this is what I've noticed. Do you notice it, too? 
And if he responds like, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Who knew? You can also talk about like, and I also have noticed that sometimes people have given you a hard time about it. And I want to know how you're feeling about that. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And and just like take each other's temperature. Just ask like, how is he enjoying this? Because maybe he's like, yep, I'm thrilled. I love it. If only people weren't jerks about it. Or maybe he'll say, I love it. I'm happy, but only because I know it's just for a few months and it might be really hard for me to do this long term. Like you should know that about him. Like right now you have what you've observed, but you don't have anything like directly from your Captain America's mouth. And I think that's important information. But also you're not suggesting that he does it forever as well. You say maybe just for a few years while our daughter's still young. Right. You're not saying this is going to be your life forever and ever and ever and you have no choice. Otherwise, everything is going to go wrong. Right, right. Yeah. And and maybe he says a couple of years would be really hard for me to be out of the workplace. Mm -hmm. What about another year? Uh, And you guys can just float different options. Like right now, everything's on the table. You guys don't have to do anything. You're very fortunate in that you're not facing any sort of like financial strain. So you can make a choice from a position of what do we want to do, not how do we make sure that the rent is paid next month. And that's a really good position to be in. So. I think ask him those questions, find out how he's doing, you know, talk between yourselves of like, how do we want to handle it when people um, that either we're close with or that we're sort of acquainted with try to suggest there's something wrong, either with staying at home with a child full time. And especially if you're doing so while a guy, um, how do we want to handle that? Because maybe he's like, yeah, I don't like it, but I also don't want to let that be what tells me what I do with exactly. my life. There are a lot of issues right now and I see this with a lot of friends of mine in their relationships where male pride and traditional male pride is kind of a stumbling block but one of the things that makes that easier is just acknowledging it and talking about it maybe not in those words Mm -hmm. but when you place it in a social context and say hey people are being bullies people are judging you according to these different standards what are we going to do about that how are we going to let those people affect our lives then it becomes making it visible is so powerful because like the first being a man like all right so the first rule of man club is you're not supposed to talk about man club the whole power of you know masculine pride and all these fears and worries is in not talking about it so Mm -hmm. actually even raising it around the edges is going to defuse some of that all i can think of right now by the way is tobias's line from arrested development when they're talking about how michael never cries I'm John Wayne, going to build an airport, put my name on it. Why, Michael? <laughs> so you can fly away from your feelings. Yes. Um, and yeah, no, that's so true. And 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 it's not even your husband's male pride exactly, because it's not like he's saying, oh, I don't like doing Like, he loves mm-hmm. it. He it's, it's more other people's male pride trying to put it on him. Other and, people's ideas of what a man should be. And I think it's really hard to be a guy. And this is not me being a hashtag not all men feminist here. Sure. Look, it's actually... When you grow up with those kinds of expectations baked in, it's really, really hard to negotiate that, especially if you're not allowed to talk about and it. And especially, you know, with the added complexity of the letter writer mentions that they're in an interracial yes. relationship. And whenever you, like, add uh, race and gender together, it's a lot. And There's a word for that. Yeah, yes, there is. <laughs> there is a word for that. Um, and it rhymes with schmintersectionality. Yes, it does. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's really challenging. And I think it's also, you know, the driving idea behind that is men, fathers, shouldn't really have to be involved in the raising of their children. Yeah. And that leads to a lot of bad stuff. Yes. It's a bad idea. So if you're out there and you make, like, a dumb joke about a guy taking parental leave or cooking or doing the dishes or picking up his kid— Knock it the fuck off. What's wrong with you? Shut your damn mouth. Put some bubble gum in your mouth. Chew bubble gum. Stop talking. It's work. Everyone who does it should be acknowledged that they're actually doing a job, not like... Also, can I I put in one thing here? Sure. Can people stop referring to men taking care of their own children as babysitting? Yeah. That's really, really bad, and people need to stop doing that. Yeah, I didn't even know they did that. That's that's garbage. And sometimes if guys even say it about themselves, it's like, oh, I can't, I'm babysitting tonight. Shove bubble gum in your <laughs> mouth, everybody. Let's drive up the sales of gum. Um, yeah, but I think absolutely talk about it. Lead with what you've observed. Um, and for both of you, you know, this will be an ongoing conversation. And of course, it's going to bring up a lot of different issues for both of you. And that's okay. Um, but I think to bear in mind, like, you guys will always be getting a fair amount of flack 
your way, like an unfair amount of flack coming your way due to being an interracial couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you, you both together want to make decisions about what do we value, what's important to us, where are points where we want to kind of protect ourselves, and where are points where we want to, say, take a sort of, like, fuck the critics attitude. Absolutely. And there's no one thing you have to do. Like, if something brings you joy and the criticism is frustrating but not overwhelming, you can do it. And if you need to take a break from something, you can do that, too. But I think this is a conversation very much worth having with your husband, especially if you lead with how happy you've noticed he's become yeah. um, and maybe get new friends. I hope these are not like your close friends who are saying Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. So totally different, lighthearted yeah. kind of thing. This is just sort of like what does a human being who lives in anything other than like the countryside do about this sort of ambient <laughs> pot smell that's just a part of everyday life? Yeah. Uh, so the subject is just pot smoking neighbor. Dear Prudence, the bedroom in my apartment often reeks of pot. The problem is, I can't tell where it's coming from. My next-door neighbor, the person above me, the person below me. So I'm not sure who to talk to about it. I'm personally not against it, and I think it should be legal, although it's not yet in my state. It's just that the smell is overpowering and makes me a bit nauseated. It's often hard for me to fall asleep. I suspect that it is my elderly next-door neighbor who uses it because she has a chronic medical condition. But of course, I don't know for sure. If that's true, I certainly wouldn't want to stop her from using it as needed. I guess my question is, should I try to bring this up with her? If so, how? I don't want to make assumptions, and I'd be mortified if I were wrong. Should I just let the whole thing drop? Oh, this is a question with stoned old ladies in it, and that is wonderful. Possible stoned Possible old ladies. Possible stoned old ladies. You know, Schrodinger's stoned old lady. Stoned old maybe ladies. she's next door, maybe she's upstairs, maybe she doesn't exist. <laughs> Somebody's smoking weed. It was me sw- smoking weed all along. We break into your bedroom every <laughs> night, letter writer, and we smoke weed in your bedroom, and then we leave as quickly as we came. Oh. So this kind of constant smell of weed everywhere thing is kind of new for me because I've been living on the West Coast in the US Mm -hmm. for a few months now. And it's not something that really happens in the UK where I'm from. It's just like, oh, that's drugs. I can smell (laughs) drugs. Do people not smoke weed in the UK? Not like that. I mean, it's it's less it's less legal than it is here. And it's just not we drink in the UK. We're a nation of alcoholics. That's what we do. And um, that's a whole other conversation. But um, actually, uh, my roommate in San Francisco is profoundly allergic to marijuana. Oh, I'm so sorry. Which makes it very, very hard for her to live in the city. She's only here for other family reasons. But so kind of quite a lot of my time living there is sort of running down and saying, hey, uh, there's a smell of pot on the front step. Um, You probably should not go outside for a little bit. That's amazing that you can even identify where it is and isn't. Like, you know, I've lived in the Bay Area on and off since I was 16 years old, and it's just, yeah, it smells like weed all the time. Yeah, 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 it does. That's just a part of the background of my life. Like, I don't smoke weed myself, um, but my life smells like weed. The green, green grass of home. Oh, Tom Jones, thank you for making an appearance on the show. Um, Yeah, this is tricky, especially, like, I I do feel sympathy for the letter writer, Mm. especially because it makes them a little nauseated, and it makes it hard for them to sleep, and I'm very sympathetic to that, but it's also, like... That is one of the downsides of apartment living. And especially if you don't know for sure who's doing it. Like, I would not recommend bringing this up with your landlord. Uh, No, you don't want to get anyone in trouble. Yeah, I mean, like, I I certainly am never going to recommend calling the, like, calling in, like, a landlord about something like weed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other people might come down differently on that issue, but. Oh, no, absolutely not. Yeah. It hadn't even occurred to me to advise anyone to call the police or call in an authority figure. That's how much, like, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, some people would do that, wouldn't they? No, you shouldn't do that. Well, especially because the letter writer says, I'm pretty sure it's this person who's doing it for medical reasons. And if that's the case, I absolutely don't want to... Uh, you know, intervene in any way. No. Um, Old people should be allowed to have all the drugs they want, in my opinion. Sure. And it would be great, like, if you knew this person, you could say, like, here are some alternatives to smoking that don't smell as powerfully, but you don't. And so that's not going to be helpful. So what can you do? You can kind of deal with it as one of the downsides of apartment living in the world and... Maybe keep your windows open more often. Maybe run a fan through your room. Maybe get some Hippie candles. Incense, yeah. uh, incense would make me more nauseated, I think. Mm. Maybe like some lightly scented, like really natural candles that sort of have a purifying air smell. Air purifier. There's lots of things. But also, oh, yeah, um, one of those air purifiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sell those at like Bed Bath & Beyond. Those are pretty solid. But also, I mean, you could always write a little note and put it under the neighboring doors. That's my passive-aggressive 
immediate response to this because then you don't have to do the in-person confrontation but then you could say hey mm. somebody i'm no? not a fan of the anonymous note to no? to help no no i i don't think that it's useful i'm trying to think if you wrote it very very kindly and you left it under everyone's exactly, door. Exactly, under everyone's door. It's like, have you noticed that there has been this? But then you might get in trouble with the landlord then, might, mightn't you? Right, because somebody might say something to the landlord. Um, you mm. don't know what everyone else's opinions on weed smoking are. You could. You could certainly like, hey, I just wanted to let you know uh, the smell is very overwhelming for me and it makes me a little bit ill. Uh, obviously, it's none of my business if you smoke pot. But uh, if you do, could you maybe keep the windows open yeah. or, or sometimes switch to something that doesn't smell so strongly? Well, you just, could do that. Yeah, that's, I think that's better than running the risk of asking your elderly neighbor and being wrong. Because yeah. that would be They might be embarrassed as well. Right. And this does save you the sort of face-to-face admitting, like, it's me. I was the pot smoker all along. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's just an, an opportunity for everybody to leave the room with dignity is always good. All right. So I'm going to break my rule. Of yep. no anonymous notes and say, in this instance, if you want, you can leave some anonymous notes under people's doors that just very lightly kind of explain, um, I'm not trying to stop anyone from yep. what they need to do. The smell's just a lot for me. And here are one or two possibilities I would like to ask of you just in case to make it easier for it has me. has to be really kind and uh, and not including any kind of threat yeah. at all. Yeah. That's and fine. you're going to have to leave it at a time when no one will see you because yep. if someone sees you, put it under the door. All is lost. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, I would say this is probably something that you're going to be because, like, maybe mm-hmm. the pot smoker sees it and does something. Maybe they don't. Um, I think your best bet is to get an air purifier, um, do some research about the best ones, um, figure out something that can uh, help get rid of the smell a little bit, whether that's opening a window, getting a fan, um, and and doing what you need to do. Because, right. unfortunately, a big part of life is people smoke a lot of weed yeah. outside and inside and all over the place. And you can't make the world stop smoking weed. No. Yeah. Nor should you. No. Yeah, I, I'm sure I'm going to hear from some people who are like, you should call the landlord. You absolutely can. And it's illegal. No, no we're abso- I'm absolutely clear on that. Yeah. Do not call the cops. On Oh, my God. No. Can you, can you imagine smelling pot sometimes and thinking, I'll call the police now? Unfortunately, yes. I know times when that's yeah. happened. Not on this not show, cool. friends. Not, not on cool. this show. Uh, we're not going to be doing it. Yeah, but good luck. That is hard uh, when... when Smells are really difficult for somebody. Dilemmas also, of etiquette are my least favorite dilemmas. I'm sorry. Well, luckily, the next one has nothing to do with etiquette and everything to do with, like, a partner who needs to straighten up and fly right, which I love. I Amazing. love righteous indignation. Would you please read it for oh, us? I'm, oh, I'm glad I get to read this one. Dear Prudence, my father-in-law is narcissistic, passive-aggressive, and thin-skinned and can get nasty after a couple of his big nightly cocktails. My husband invites him to visit three or four times per year because he thinks our kids should know their grandparents. During his visits, my husband disappears, leaving me to take care of meals and hosting duties, which includes absorbing my father-in-law's emotional barbs, most of which are directed at my husband and are sometimes deployed in front of our kids. If I push back, he turns his wrath toward me. It's easier to ignore his half-drunk sarcastic insults. It will be easier still to disappear like my husband does and just leave him to play with the kids and get his own meals. What are my responsibilities here? Do I suck it up a few times a year and accept this duty as part of the package of being married? Should I always defend my husband to his half-drunk toxic father even when it gets me nowhere and takes a lot out of me? Thank you, weary wife. Wow. Listeners, I wish you could have seen my face. I wish you could have seen her face. Of that entire letter. I because thought you it was were just about to levitate off your chair. Full Robert De Niro, just like, mm <gasps> Disapproving Robert De Niro face. Um, oh, my God. Three or four times a year, and then he just bails. Yeah. And it's inviting him into your home. It's not, hey, I'm going to take the kids and go visit my shitty dad. Yep. It's, hey, you want to be somebody's, like, made and emotional punching bag for the next five days awesome i'm gonna go hide in my room manage my family for me fuck this situation i am angry with your husband i hope he's a great husband in every other respect because no this is not on this is really not on it is not your job as a wife to deal with your husband's dreadful family i feel like the one thing that's kind of understood is everybody is a little bit more responsible for their family of origin yep. if they are the ones bringing them into the new family situation. Yeah. Like, if there's an issue with your in-laws, the person who is related or was raised by them has to sort of take the lead. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so for your husband to say our grand or our, our children have to get to know their grandfather, but I'm not going to be a part of that. No, no, that's Nuh-uh. that stops today. Letter writer, that's done. Yes. That's over. That's canceled. Like, wow, you guys get. To, you should be. I would go so far as to say 800% more angry about this than you are, weary wife. Because yes. right now you sound like, do I have to keep doing this? Is this really part of being a wife? No. This is not nope. part of being anything. Your husband is being a shit. Yeah. This is really, really dickish behavior. If he wants his kids to know his father, then he needs to take responsibility for that. And mm-hmm. again, three or four times a year. I have lots of close family members I don't see three or four times per year. And I got to say... Like, you don't say anything about the way your father-in-law treats your children, but you're telling us that he has a couple of big nightly cocktails uh, and he starts insulting your husband. Are your kids having a lot of fun with their grandfather? Yeah, he doesn't sound like a, a great granddad. Like, he's well on his way to wasted playing with them on the floor and insulting their father. Like, do your kids like spending time with him? And like, Mm-mm. yeah, I, 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 I think that this is a person whose contact with your kids should maybe be limited to like periodic uh, like afternoon outings where both of you are there and able to supervise and not just like like if your thought right now is like, should I just wander off? Like, I don't think your kids should be. No, alone I don't think dude. you should leave kids with that guy. No, he's he's and I, whenever somebody says they have a couple of big nightly cocktails in a letter in my mind, I just double it. Right. Yep. Like yep. you just know someone's downplaying it. These are big-ass yeah. cocktails. He's and He's, he's yeah. had a couple while you left the room. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you get to, my friend, have a, a great conversation with your husband. Um, and you get to say, so these three to four time a year visits, they're done. We're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Here are some other options. You can take the kids and go visit your father. Uh, we can invite him to stay nearby in a hotel yes. a couple of times a year. Uh, and we can make plans to meet up with him in the afternoon before he starts getting drunk. Or I'm going to make plans of my own for when your father comes to visit and go somewhere really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this three to four times a year malarkey, that's done. Uh, and and you need to make it really clear, like, you have been inviting your father out here and then abdicating all parental responsibility to me. And that stops now. So you, letter writer, get to figure out which of the other options sounds workable, manageable to you. Um, Definitely limit the time your kids spend with this guy. How are your kids doing when he's around? Do they even like him? Um, No, no, (laughs) no. He's deciding what century you want to live in, basically. Mm. I mean, you don't anymore, by marrying somebody you like, have to take on responsibility for all of their aging relatives and their various emotional problems. That's not the deal anymore. Well, and it's not even as, I mean, I'm sure there are uh, situations where if someone were like ill and required care, that might be on top of the conversation. But no, the guy's like just mean. He, yeah, if nothing else, letter writer, because I have a feeling it's going to be hard for you to go from four times a year playing hostess to really putting your foot down. If nothing else, no, you don't need to fix his meals. Um, You, when somebody is a relative and they visit you often, you don't put on like first time guest behavior. Mm -hmm. You say like, hey, uh, I picked up an extra case of your favorite soda, not beer at the store. (laughs) Don't give this guy alcohol. Um, And you know where all the sandwich fixings are. Let me know uh, if we're out of mustard. And then he can get his own meals. Okay, story time. Story time. I was once staying with a wonderful friend of mine whose name rhymes with Schnickel. She lives in <laughs> Schnuta. And uh, they often have out-of-town guests. Um, and they had one guy who was visiting her husband. And he's a couple years older than me, probably 10 or 15 years. And um, a nice fellow, a little bit, uh, let us say, stuck in his ways. <laughs> um, and at one, one afternoon, just one afternoon... Um, I was on the couch uh, working on a piece, and he sort of wandered through. And we'd had a handful of conversations. And he just sort of looked around. And you could see, like, his Terminator vision was just, like, find the nearest woman. And he was like, Mallory, do you know what uh, Nicole is planning on making for dinner tonight? <gasps> and it was just this wonderful moment of, like, it was it was as simple as, like, there's a woman nearby. She knows the other woman. The woman owns the kitchen. That's where the food lives. This woman will tell me what I'm eating tonight. Uh, and it was really, it was almost wonderful. It was almost wonderful. And, what did you do? Oh, I just said, I don't know what she's having for dinner tonight. What do you think they're going to have for dinner tonight? And he just sort of said, I, I, I don't know. And I was like... I think they're upstairs. Why don't you go ask them? And he said, I'll do that. And then he wandered upstairs to ask somebody else what they were going to make for him for dinner. It was wonderful. 
We did not speak again for the rest of my trip. Amazing. Um, How I would actually, these people feed themselves? I worry. Oh, he would find a way. Are you <laughs> kidding me? That kind of helplessness. People are always so worried, like, oh, they wouldn't know how to feed themselves if I didn't do it. I promise you, if you died tomorrow, they would find a way to make themselves a sandwich. But then the other side of that is that whole survivalist, Bear grills in the woods. You know, I've got my 18 million cans of spam and I'm going to ride out the apocalypse. Are you kidding me? I don't you know. can't even fix yourself a sandwich on your wonderful. own when there's yeah. a woman in the house. I was just like, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't, like, our uteruses weren't talking to each other, like, remotely via, like, the womb wireless that the women have. vagina. Also, not all women have uteruses, guy. That's he didn't true. say any of those things, so it wasn't like I was making that. You try. At any rate, the point was it was really wonderful and charming, and um, it was just great to like not do any of the stuff you wanted me to do. Um, I love. I also enjoy not doing the things. Just like cheerful non-compliance, yeah. but like it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. I, I'm sure he's a wonderful man. Um, and I, I also realized I totally stopped using the rhyming version of Nicole's name, but at least yeah. I didn't use his name. At any rate, speaking of friendships and obligations, uh, the subject line of this next letter is how to connect better with friends who have children. The eternal question. Right. Dear Prudence, I don't have children. Many of my family members and friends do have kids. We are all mostly very happy with our choices on most days. However, when I'm in a group of parents, I often feel isolated. I don't feel like I can, tr- I don't feel like I can contribute in any meaningful way to the conversation. Cute stories are fun. I'm happy to listen to frustrations and fears, but a lot of the stories they share are outside my experience, and to be honest, childhood development bores me to tears. It's not that I don't have maternal instincts, but I just don't feel like I fit. My volunteer experiences with tutoring young children is really not the same thing as raising them. Any advice on how to feel more connected to my sisters and friends when children dominate the conversation? I love all these people, including their kids, but I also feel like a jerk for feeling isolated and a little bored. Yeah, this is, I mean, if nothing else, letter writer, this is like a very universal problem, especially at a particular age, like late 20s through the 30s and early 40s. When people are making different decisions about their lives and sometimes going in different directions. Yep. And and part of as much as you can love somebody if you don't have children and they do or vice versa, um, some of the aspects of their life will just feel a little baffling to you and a little boring. And so I would say my first piece of advice of advice to this question would be this is super normal yep um it's super normal to feel isolated and a little bored when you're in a crowd of parents and you are the only non-parent and you don't have a lot that you can contribute to the conversation so you're not a jerk it's super normal i promise you that when any of them are in a group of their friends who don't have children they're a little bit in the even if they're like very open-minded and wonderful and compassionate a little bit in the back of their mind they're like well i didn't see that movie and I think this is a little dumb, and I kind of wish I was talking about teething with my other friends. Mm. Part of life. Part of life is feeling bored and alienated from the experiences of others. Yes, absolutely. But it is really interesting. I mean, look, I've got... Sorry, I just drank water incredibly you loudly, and the whole water. bottle cracked. I'm very strong. I'm <laughs> right, basically the rock. No, no, no. We're keeping that in. I want You're the people to the know creek. how strongly I drink water. Yeah. <laughs> Please continue with whatever you were saying. Oh, my goodness. I... Honestly, look, I have a lot of kids. I have a lot of kids. Do you really? I don't have a lot of kids. I have a lot of friends who are, you know, starting to build families and have kids. And by the way, the internet has clearly pegged me as someone who is on the edge of making that significant life decision. Because whenever I see adverts, Mm -hmm. I see one of two adverts. Um, The internet shows me either adverts for pregnancy and fertility tests or cat food. Oh, wow. It's one of each. And I feel like the internet is hedging its bets at the moment with, mm-hmm. you know, where's what's it going to be? What's it going to be? One or the other. A, <laughs> but, yeah, look, I... The internet, by the way, just wants to sell me men's shoes from Vans and men's floral hats also from Vans. So the internet has got my number when it comes yeah, to my Yeah, you would look great habits. in both of those things. I'm wearing both of those things <laughs> today. <laughs> Well, the internet really, really wants me to buy cat food yeah. for my non-existent pets. Anyway, um, I personally find babies and early childhood really interesting and fascinating in a kind of, oh, my God, this is a totally alien culture to me way. But And I'm sure your friends also would find your own life experiences interesting if you can have some back and forth. I don't know. You can bring them 
exciting news from the outside world. You can tell them what's been going on in the news. News from the outside. News from the outside. Yeah. You can tell them what's been on TV, what it's like to sleep through the night, that kind of thing. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that you can and should do here, I think. One of which is to cultivate your friendships with people who don't have children. Mm -hmm. That's not to say stop taking the calls of your friends with kids, but it sounds like a lot of this is groups of people. It's not so much the one-on-ones. It's that most of your primary circle of friends, when they get together, they talk about parenting young children. Um, Make it like a standing, get a standing date with somebody once a month. Like, keep it small at first, but just who who is going to be able to go to brunch and talk to you about stuff that has nothing to do with small children and their milestones. Um, So it doesn't mean stop talking to those people or only hang out with single people. I think it's wonderful to have, like, diverse friendships with people with really different life experiences. But, um, you know, periodically tap out of Mm -hmm. the baby conversation. That is okay. It's fine for you to excuse yourself. You're clearly doing a great job listening, being connected, spending time with their kids. It's not like you're like, oh, never talk to me about little Rocky's, like, ability to use his neck muscles ever again. I'll die. Like, you're doing great. So give yourself a pass to tap out of the conversation sometimes. Give yourself a pass to periodically, like, when you've been talking about everyone's babies for a good 45 minutes to say, like, oh, something really cool is going on with me and to bring it up and to talk about it for a while. And then also give yourself permission to just sometimes accept they're going to be a little obsessed with their young children for the next five or so years, and um, that's just part of their life. Um, and if you need to do something different, you can, um, and be there and celebrate and enjoy with them when you when you can. And when you need a break, um, take that. When you need them to talk about you, bring yourself up. I also wanted to say um, to the letter writer and to anybody else who's in a similar situation that I really hope that being in that situation isn't making you feel like you've made a bad choice or a wrong choice because that that's not the impression I get from the letter but it does it does give the sense that you're you're feeling a little unhappy and isolated in these situations and and it's really difficult to negotiate this kind of thing mm-hmm. whoever you are and whatever choices you've made and particularly if you're a woman there's no gender on this on this email um, but you know, it's often. I feel women. comfortable taking a leap on this one. All right. I yeah, feel like yeah, sure. if this person were a guy, they would throw that in there. <laughs> yes, you know, probably. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's not a perfect choice that anybody can make here, and we live in a world where everybody is judging you on the choices you're making, even if you yourself are perfectly happy with them, which you sound perfectly happy with your own choices. So. I think it's important to remember that yep. and to remember that you're you're okay, you're not abnormal just because you've made a different choice. Yeah, and you're not bad for sometimes feeling a little zoned no. out. You know, the, the, the real question was, do you have advice on how to feel more connected to my sisters and friends when children dominate the conversation? Uh, to that, I would say, you already sound pretty connected. I think free yourself of the expectation that you have to perfectly empathize with everybody else's experience or perfectly understand it. You don't. They have an experience that you don't have. And there are ways in which you can connect with it. There are ways in which you can try to understand it. There's ways in which you can see it from the outside. Don't feel like if you don't thrill in the exact same way that they do when they're like, little Jimblewad lost a tooth last night, that you don't care, that you're selfish or shallow or a bad friend. Um, That's just not your experience. And that's okay. Free yourself from that pressure. That's an unnecessary pressure. You don't have to feel the same way about parenthood that they do because you're not a parent. So do your best. Connect. Engage. Listen. Bring yourself up. Take space when you have to. Uh, You sound like you are doing a fantastic job being their friend. They're lucky to have you. And it's going to be so fantastic in like 15 years when everyone wants to start going to brunch again because they hate (laughs) their children. Because their children are monsters who just slug Mountain Dew and like review brands of American spirit on YouTube or whatever the future version of YouTube is going to be and say that they hate their parents all the time. That might not happen to all of us. I mean, like I was a monster as a teenager. I did smoke American spirits. I did chug Mountain Dew. I did skip off fifth period to go smoke behind the school. Oh, and I was mean cool. to my parents for no reason. No, no, no. I was just smoking cigarettes. I wasn't cool. I was just smoking cigarettes. Cigarette, smoking cigarettes is cool. It's not good for you or a good idea, but it is cool. That's why it's 100% why I did it and yep. why at 30 I have finally, I think, successfully quit. It's been like, quite a while now and I'm feeling pretty great about that. But boy, oh boy, do I wish I could go back in time and say, mm-hmm. you idiot, don't do it. Me too. Um, But what's done is done. At least I'm quit now. 
All right. And also, yeah, quit smoking if you're smoking, letter writer. To all the letter writers, if you're smoking, please stop. This, I think, actually might be my favorite one, uh, this next one. And I'm so glad that you get to read it. Um, Again, I I really, like, I identify deeply with that, like, late teen, early 20s sense of, like, I know what old is and you're it and it's the worst. Uh, please, uh, Please take it away. All right. You are old. Dear Prudence, I am a 20-something Southerner, and I am not going to do a Southern accent. Please if you're expect- don't. No, I'm not going to do that. Please don't. I can't even do an American accent. Um, but I'm trying my hand at waitressing on the East Coast. The vernacular of my home allows for an easy transition from childhood to adulthood. Kids get nicknames while adults get honorifics. It works. I will admit I play up the Southern charm for tips, but haven't found a way to deal with age denial from customers. I get old ladies taking offence to getting called ma'am, or old men who tell me to just call me Carl while fondling my ass and asking me to remember them distinctly from every dirty old goat doing the same. Making a scene means eliminating tips. I just need a way to deal with this. I never got some pushback back home, and my co-workers have not given me good advice. How to deal with these fragile egos taking offence over an underpaid server trying to be polite in their regional dialect. Half the time I want to scream at these people, yes, I do consider you a dried up old stick who drinks too much and blames me for the wandering hands of your drunk husband. You haven't screwed him in three years and he can get away with sexual harassment and I need the tip anyway. How do I translate this? (gasps) This is the greatest letter I've ever received. (laughs) This letter writer is in a state. Yes. I do not think you should try to translate all of that because I think you will get fired if you call your customers dried up old sticks whose husbands. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Um, unless once, you hate your job. Yeah, unless you want to have like a really transcendent like fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I'm out moment. Yep. Like from It depends how much this job matters to you, honestly. Yeah, this it definitely sounds like you are at the point of going berserk. And just, like, throwing salad dressing at someone, which... um, Can I do my capitalism is the problem thing? Oh, yes, 100%. But capitalism is clearly the problem here. The problem isn't what title you choose to call these people. It's that you feel obligated... To undergo sexual harassment every single day for a job. And can I just say that this whole thing in the United States where serving staff have to rely on tips for their pay is really really messed up it we don't sure ha- is. we don't have that at home and as a result people in the uk and in europe when you go into a restaurant they just treat you like they would like they're a person who's doing a job they're, right, nice, like they're at they work they're professional yeah. but they're not like hi i'm so glad to see you see, guys I, you're my best friend call me every five minutes yeah i find that creepy as hell but partly because i know you know that people are doing it because oh, yeah. they need money i, I waited really tables bad. for about seven years and i didn't like doing it either i'm sure no. there are people out there who kind of enjoy the sort of persona that you can put on it's not like it was a total misery but no, it felt like a lot to have to do. Like, hey, guys, so glad to see you. And I was like, oh, I'm only a little glad to see you. I wish I could just be like, hi, welcome. What can I get you? Yeah, and I don't want somebody who's having a rough day at work and isn't doesn't particularly want to have a conversation with me to have to have a conversation with me. Although... The experience but the of- customer is always right, no, Lori. Not. I'm paying money, and therefore I can demand anything from you. I would say one thing that feels really separate from all this is, like, getting your ass grabbed. And I I understand you might need this job. I don't want to put you in a position where um, you're putting yourself in the way of possibly getting fired. But hopefully you have the kind of manager who doesn't want their employees getting their asses grabbed by customers at work. Mm -hmm. And so you can, if someone does that, move away, say, please don't touch me. Yes. Talk to the manager who's working your shift. Let them know that that's going on. Um, Try and swap tables with somebody. Yeah, that that is worth going to your manager about because if that's happening, um, you do not have to put up with that. Absolutely not. And if if your manager, there's pushback and you think you will be fired for making a scene or for complaining about sexual harassment, that isn't legal. Right. I mean, I would would check the, the the laws in your local area, but you're not allowed to fire somebody because they complain about sexual harassment. Although, when... Happens all the time. Actually, it happened to me. Um, In my first job in London, I was a shop girl in Camden Market. Mm. 
the, so fancy. Yeah, no, it, it is not fancy. It's lovely. It's a kind of goth nest from all over the world. You know, people make these pilgrimages to Camden that to buy fancy their to me. Oh, you to buy their glow sticks and their little clippy and hair things and their uh, platform boots. And I worked. I take it this was the late nineties, early two thousands. It it was the late two thousands. Oh and, wow! Um, yeah, and they were yeah, still yeah. doing platform boots and hair. Oh clippies. yeah, it was a real kind of throwback area. Yeah, goth is not dead. Good. That is not dead, which can eternal lie. Yeah. Yeah. Goth will never die. Anyway, so anyway, so I was working at the front of the store in a um in a job where my main job was to like greet people coming in. There were a lot of tourists and you know, I had to be all done up in my goth gear and um you know, a couple of tourists used to, you know, just grab the girls who were working there. And, you know, somebody put their hand up my skirt and I went up to the manager and I said I actually just asked my manager how I should deal with this and said, maybe we should think of some way of stopping this happening to the girls who work the front desk. And the next day I was told I no longer had a job. Mm -hmm. I wasn't told that it was because of that. They made up some other excuse. And, you know, I was 21 at the time. I didn't know how to deal with it properly. I just went and I found a new job. But you really shouldn't think that this is on you to learn how to manage sexual harassment at work that's not okay yeah and and it's really separate from somebody saying oh don't call me ma'am like that's a really different issue so again bearing in mind that you might not have helpful management um you might not have the time the money or the energy to like take a sexual harassment suit against a former employer Mm -hmm. um but I, i think it is worth if you trust your management even a little bit bringing up. Um, and at the very least, if someone's grabbing your ass, you don't have to make a scene, but you can move away and say, please don't do that. Yep. Um, like you absolutely can do that. That is okay. You are not being rude or giving bad customer service. Um, you can just say, please don't touch me. Yep. Um, and if you don't feel comfortable saying that, you can just move to the other side of the table. Again, not to say that it's on you or that it's your responsibility, but it, it feels a little bit like you're worried that if you do anything to protect yourself, you'll be making a scene. And I just want to assure you that that's not the case. And what Whatever steps you need to take um, to make sure that, uh, like, you can take care of yourself, I I want you to feel, like, empowered to do. That's just shitty and awful, and I'm really, really sorry. As for the rest of your problem, I I think there are a couple of possible solutions. Because this is clearly not working, right? Like, you do not sound happy. Your customers sound offended. It's a bummer of a situation all the way around. Your job is not making you happy right now. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you do not have to wait tables for too much longer because it does not sound like a great scene. But in the meantime, um, you can drop the sir and the ma'am. Mm-hmm. You can still be Southern and not call people sir and ma'am. Um, I, like, it's just clearly not going over the way that it did back home. Um, and you cannot argue to – you can't say to a customer, but you're over 50. I have to call you <laughs> ma'am. Like, if somebody thinks they are too young to be a ma'am, you can't. It is very rude to tell them otherwise. Um, and so you can just drop the sir and the ma'am. Uh, I don't really want to encourage you to use, like, old school, like, diner talk, like, hey, sugar, hey, honey, because, like, you're already having an issue with people yeah. getting too familiar with you. So I don't think that's going to be a good solution for you. Um, but just go with y'all. You know, you're Southern, so just go with, <laughs> what can I get y'all? Like, just just lean heavy on the y'all. Call people folks. Um, uh, you know, just say, hey, everybody, and what can I get for you? And make eye contact. Like, don't worry too much about the honorifics. Lean heavily on the y'all. Drop the sir and the ma'am because, like, you want the tips. They don't want to be reminded that they are objectively old. Or if you really want to wait tables, move to a country with sane labor laws where you can just turn up to work and be your grumpy self. I feel like if you're working for tips, though, the ability to, like, move to the of, UK of course, tomorrow exactly. is going to be a little yeah. tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> yes. Um Yeah, so the sexual harassment thing that sucks, definitely don't yell at a customer and call them a dried-up old stick. That will get you fired Um, and is also just not a kind thing to say to somebody. Um, Because someday, you know, we all hope to become dried-up old sticks. That's that's the (laughs) goal, right? I moisturize. Fair enough. But like, I'm going to be a moist stick. Fine. You will be a moist old stick. Um, That's the dream, right? Like, is to not die at 25 of whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, and and all the other stuff is like, I just love how, like, don't call me ma'am brings up issues like, well, you drink too much. (laughs) That doesn't make someone a ma'am. That just means they drink too much. That's an unrelated issue. And, yeah, a lot of people do drink too much, especially uh, out of restaurants, and they often then act like entitled jerks uh, to the waitstaff because a lot of people who don't feel like they have control over their own life uh, will – like take that out in really crappy ways mm-hmm. on retail workers and customer service workers, people who are usually young 
and often female and almost always make way less money. And if that is the way that you are taking out your frustration with the fact that you don't have the kind of control over your life that you would want, you are once again making a bad decision and might I suggest filling your mouth with delicious bubblegum instead of terrible, terrible words. Are you sponsored by bubblegum? I actually don't even like bubblegum. <laughs> I, I think the taste of bubblegum is weird. It's up there with marshmallow and licorice for me of just like, well, I don't ever want to taste this. Mm. I like minty gum. But yeah, if 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 bubblegum does want to sponsor me, despite the fact that I just said I don't like the taste of it, sure, get Bazooka Joe in here. <laughs> that stuff is like chewing rocks, but I like their comics and it reminds me of my childhood. Oh, Lori, thank you so much. Thank you. Marie. For being on this show. Um, I really appreciated that we just drove home the point that capitalism, capitalism is not is helping any of us. It's not helping any of Well, it's helping a very few of us quite a lot. A very, very small number of people are appreciating, uh, a very small number of people are appreciating capitalist patriarchy right now. The rest of us could do better. We could. Well, I'm so glad that we had you on the show today. Before you go, I wanted to get your opinion on something, which is a statement that I made to my producer right before you walked in, Mm -hmm. which is something that I did not realize I felt incredibly strongly about until I said it. And that is this. I think that being more than five minutes early to anything is an act of aggression and personal hostility that is directed at me. What are your thoughts on that? If I was if I had ever been five minutes early to anything, Mallory, I would know. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no idea about American etiquette. Um, I don't think this is a matter of etiquette. I think this is one of those situations where, once again, Mallory universalizes an incredibly subjective experience that is unique to Mallory. Yeah, that, that, it seems like a you thing. Yeah, I think but I'm bringing a lot your, to the table. This is your podcast, and well, you're allowed to make the world as you see it. Our, our sound engineer was just talking to us earlier about one time that his in-laws showed up. They said they were going to be somewhere at noon, and they showed up at 11.15. Oh, no. no 11.15, no, 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 no. that's so early. And I'm sure they didn't mean it as an act of aggression, but I would take it as, oh, you you're just pointing out my many, many failures and making me responsible for your entertainment 45 minutes before I was supposed to. Why would you hurt me like that? Oh, it's all right, Mallory. It's okay. Nobody's thinking about that. Nobody knows how often you're late in the world. People you might know. be You might be quite late. People I don't know. know. Do they I'm, know? I'm usually Are you sure? Late. I'm usually like, I'm rarely right on time. I'm, I've gotten way better over the years. I'm, I'm way closer now to usually being within five minutes, but I have a hard time arriving at places on time and I have to work really hard to be only a tiny bit late and whenever someone's like I'm here 30 minutes early I'm like no now I'm late already even though I haven't I'm not late yet you've just retroactively made me late well in that case um you've never been late to meet me any of the times we've hung out and I want to say given that I now know that that's a really hard thing for you to do Thank you very much for the extra effort you've made. I will always take a ticker tape parade for something as basic as being somewhere the time I said it would be there. But it's harder for some people than others. It really is. is so hard. Lori, you are the best. Thank you for uh, affirming my weird worldview yet again. And have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence, even though you didn't have to. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. To make sure you never miss an episode of this show, head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. While you're there, why not check out another great Slate show, The Gist? It's a daily podcast about news, culture, and whatever else you're most likely talking about with your family and friends. Hosted by Mike Pesca. Check it out. Check it out.